Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, the magazine club that delivers a different independent magazine to your door every month. London is absolutely baking at the moment, so I've escaped to the cemetery just around the corner from my house and I'm sitting in the shade of a lovely big tree to record this, the first podcast episode we've released in a long time. Over the last couple of years, we've put out a few one-off episodes based on events that we've organised, but we haven't had a proper weekly podcast since the end of 2021, and I'm really excited about bringing it back. The idea is that we'll have a new episode out every Friday with me speaking to independent magazine makers from all around the world. Some of them will be straight up one-to-one conversations, some will be taken from our monthly Stack Magazine Club meetings, and some will be from events and other things that we're doing at the time. This first episode was recorded last weekend at Indicon in Hamburg, and it's me interviewing the people behind Solomir magazine live on stage. It is a genuinely extraordinary magazine made by young people in Ukraine who are documenting and coming to terms with what it means to be at war. Of course, there are many problems that come with making a magazine in those conditions, and one of them was that we weren't able to get visas for two of the Ukraine-based editors to join us, so as you'll hear, I interviewed them beforehand and we played the video as part of the event. We also had a bit of a problem with the feed from our microphones cutting out in places, so you're going to hear that every now and then I need to use the sound from my backup microphone, which means the sound of the audience sort of comes in and out, but I hope that's not all too distracting. I've been going to Indicon for 10 years now, and I think this might have been the best one yet. It was packed with interesting exhibitors and lovely print fans, all housed in a big old train shed in Hamburg's Oberhafen. The stage was in a sort of pit in the middle and the fair carried on all around us, which is why you'll hear a lot of background noise, particularly when I cut to that backup microphone. But I've tried to make sure that everything stays audible, so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with the team from Solomia. Yes, thank you, Nina. Thanks, everyone. Um, as Nina said, uh, my name is Stephen Watson. I run Stack. Uh, we send out a different magazine every month. Um, I've been doing that for 15 years, and it means that I get to look at a lot of really great independent magazines. But every now and then, a magazine comes along that still genuinely kind of takes my breath away. And Solomia is one of those magazines, not entirely for positive reasons. In fact, really largely not because of positive reasons. I've, I've never seen a magazine before that's made by a bunch of people who are at war and who are trying to express what it means to be at war. We've all seen loads of coverage of the war in Ukraine on the news every night. And the extraordinary thing about Solomia is that it shows some of that too, but it also shows this whole other side, this defiant and beautiful and radical side of what it means to be a young person living in Ukraine at the moment. So um, as Nina said, we are very happy tonight that we have Sebastian Wells, who is uh, one of the editors, and he's based in Berlin, uh, but also spends a lot of time um, over in Kyiv. Um, we have Collective Scrollan, um, so that's Peter Bunnegel and Annaline Prof, who are uh, the designers of the magazine. They're also based in Berlin. 
Um, we also have Ivanka Kosachenko, who is one of the Ukraine-based editors, uh, is with us tonight. We were hoping to have two of the other Kyiv-based editors with us tonight, and there's been all sorts of efforts going on over the last few weeks to try to get them here, but we weren't able to sort the visas. So instead, earlier this week, I had a quick conversation uh, with Vsevolod Kazarin and Andriy Oshitsky uh, to make sure that we could at least have their voices uh, here uh, on the, at the event tonight. So we're going to play you a quick video of me speaking with them, and then I'm going to speak with the other guys here, and I'm going to have time for your questions. Um, I started by asking them what life is like in Kyiv at the moment, and the first person that you hear from uh, is Andrei. Uh, well, it's very hot right now. Um, it's been like more than 30 degrees Celsius the last couple of days. Uh, but um, in, if we talk about the previous night, it was pretty rough in Kiev because we had like two missiles being um, shot down um, in Kiev. One of them landed really close to my apartment. Actually, it was very loud. Uh, but other than this, Kiev is being very vibrant and very green uh, amidst the summer and also very um, uh, vivacious, I would say. Uh, just like sometimes the reality is disrupted by the air raid sirens, uh, which obviously the world we live in right now. Mm -hmm. we, there's lots in the news uh, in the UK at the moment about the counteroffensive and how that's going slowly the like it is there is there a sense where you are of i don't know like kind of wanting that to speed up or is that just so distant from where you are the like it's, it's kind of not in your reality yeah what we need to remember is that what is said in the news and the reality is like usually those messages are very thought through um, so what can be translated may be very different from, from what is happening on the battlefront. This is something that we have witnessed when, you know, Ukrainian armed forces have been um, um, like leading the counter-offensive uh, counter operations uh, in the Kharkiv region and stuff like this. Obviously, we'll not be able to lead counter-offensive in such um, rapid way anymore, just because, you know, the enemy has already already knows how we operate and we really need to um we really need to uh approach it in a different way maybe it's a slower way um, but we really believe in ukrainian armed forces and uh, what actually really helps is just like you know creating those routines when you're able to donate regularly uh, as much as you know ukrainians i know a lot of ukrainians use their social media to communicate this but those like donations, they really help um, to speed speed the things up and also elevate a lot of weight from the from the governmental institutions who have a lot of information, a lot of operations to control. Um, whereas if you donate to any like volunteering initiatives, th those guys usually do things very fast, which are very helpful for for the soldiers, which obviously speeds up the counteroffensive. So I could not say that we are like super annoyed or anything like this. We just like really trust um, to those guys who are protecting yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that there's been a lot of uh, work going on to try to get you over to Hamburg um, so that you could be here in person. I, do you know why you were not able to come? 
oh it's it's very hard to um like to to answer your question straightforwardly, we do not really know. I mean, the official reason was that uh, was that we did not provide uh, much of the information which was needed to for, for the ministry, and we also required information from them on which information was missing, and we're still pending reply. But it's it's a very it's a very hard process that requires a lot of like processes to be covered, and a lot of invitations, and a lot of writing, and a lot, a lot of like putting the documents together. Uh, sometimes I it, maybe it's a bad luck. Maybe there is another reason why. Maybe it's even, maybe we need to be here. I do not know. But obviously, my, 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 my primary answer would be we do not know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So look, we're obviously we're we're at Indicon. Uh, we have a lot of people here who are making independent magazines, and everyone who makes a magazine is doing so for slightly different reasons. And you know, it's not normally about making money. So it's often about maybe something personal, something creative, or it's about trying to communicate a particular message. I'm interested for you guys, when you started the magazine, what, what was your primary motivation for wanting to make it? And has that changed uh, over the time you've been doing it? Devlet, would you like to answer this? Because you were kind of the co-founder. Um, yeah, so for me personally, when Sebastian came to Ukraine and we met for the first time and decided to collaborate and made a, a photographic project that was the original idea, which later developed into the idea of uh, making the magazine mm, for me personally it was kind of looking for a sense of what i'm doing in this context of the war because when the war when the big war just started uh, on february 24 quite many people like joined the army others were volunteering and we had this kind of collective uh, desire to somehow contribute to a common resistance and um, that led to some uh, kind of artistic crisis uh, where I could uh, not wow. understand what I'm doing and how can I help and what's my place in all this uh, yeah. story. So it was it's what it was rather just like a strong desire of doing what I can do, like taking pictures and collaborate with other artists and at least uh, trying to somehow uh, keep myself occupied with some sort of things. Uh, Andre, what about you? Yeah, thank you very much. And answering your question, Stephen, like I feel like the initial message and the initial idea of the magazine obviously was to show, and I believe that this is what this was you actually said this when we had an interview previously, that your impression of the magazine was like that the message was like hey you guys we are still here we know like in the news we read that there's death around but there are still a lot of life in the magazine and this is something that we wanted to show because there is a big difference when you read about the war from the news headlines and from from such uh such magazine because war because you know news they usually tend to um embrace an objective point of view however um war living during wartime is never objective is very subjective because apart from the horrors that are happening on the battlefront it's also about the broken dreams it's about broken hopes hopes and also about 
um, I feel like every Ukrainian died on February 24th and then like woke up in the morning and tried in trying to kind of recollect themselves and understand what is their place in the world now and how they can be helpful. So I believe for myself, um, this magazine also carried such value that I was trying to find my voice and find how I can be uh, useful because like I previously liked writing and uh, I liked editing text, but it was never something that I did publicly. Uh, and with the war going on, I posted this text, which uh, I posted this text on my Instagram, which was called uh, the hope who the, the boy who hopefully lived, which is an allusion to Harry Potter's opening chapter, the boy who lived, but I added hopefully because you, you're not sure about the the future um, of of your own future. Um, and this is kind of the moment when I talked about this this um, feeling that, the war will forever be a part of my biography and this is something that I will not be able to erase and somehow I have to recollect myself I just cannot find any other words of putting it and I believe this magazine not only for us personally but for all Ukrainian creatives who have faced this crisis this is also a space for them to communicate this with their works um yeah mm -hmm. and, and so, so as you say that with that first issue I mean, I, I encountered it as something that felt uh, defiant. That you know, it's kind of saying, "Hey, look, the you know, it, it's not everything that you've been seeing. It's that, but then there's this other stuff as well." And you had that line of um, "war but art." So you know, we're 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 at war every day, but it's a weird thing. You still have to find a way to live. And then I felt that with the second issue. <laughs> It's not that I think that hope was lost, but it felt somehow harder. It, uh, the, and there was this line in there about um, the war has become part of us and we have become part of the war. I wonder, could one of you tell me a little bit about, about that? Um, well, I think that the first issue was very acute reaction uh, on what just happened and on the start of the war and this such a super new experience we all faced. And the second issue is more about uh, starting uh, of reflection on this experience on our place in this context. Um, and, you know, now we don't know when the war is over, so it's... Uh, uh, just reality we live in and uh, uh, I think that the second issue is trying to um, go deeper into for example the project unstable uh, in equilibrium oh, okay. with Polaroids of those people who had to, to flee from their houses which are now occupied by Russia uh, there are many young people who fled uh, those occupied territories not after the big war outbreak, but actually when the actual war started on 2014. So in that issue, we tried to reflect on um, this like big part of uh, Ukrainian history, of Ukrainian independent history, and how everything uh, also came to the point where this big war started and how, uh, how it impacted those young people uh, who've been suffering from 2014. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and in doing that again, you you know, you've completely changed the way that I see this war. Because again, we you know, in in Britain, we tend to think of it as something that started 
with the full-scale invasion, but yeah, it's important that we keep in mind that that's been going on for a, a lot longer. And and Vesevo, you you wrote, uh, I think, I mean, maybe one of the most kind of affecting things I've read about the war with um, uh, Russians stole my hot water and just the totally mundane, boring, but also horrifying reality of, of what you're doing. It kind of strikes me that you've been talking about like, it's hot in in Kiev at the moment. Is is I part is part of your mind now looking to kind of okay, autumn's nearly here. It's going to get cold again. You're going to go into this next phase of having to kind of endure this. Um, yeah, I actually keep in mind it every day, and now it's uh, like in two days it would it would be September in Kiev again. So many politicians in Ukraine say that Russia would obviously continue those attacks on the civilian infrastructure this year as well, which would lead to blackouts and lack of water and so on uh, in Ukrainian cities. Um, but that also, I mean, the reality we just, uh, there is no choice, but just to get used to it and somehow keep donating and keep working and keep uh, trusting our armed forces. Okay. But yeah, I, I mean, of course, the war reality, it uh, changes uh, the perception of uh, a lot of things, including the topic of uh, humanity. And I think that was the uh, thing I wanted to show in that text when talking about uh, those Russians killed in trench. Uh, and it's like super honest, uh, super honest fact that, yeah, we don't feel these emotions to, we don't feel those emotions when we see, for example, that Russians is just some uh, consequences of the war. And uh, it really changes your perception on a lot of things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, wow. look, you, you've mentioned a few times uh, that it's important to keep on donating. So uh, for people watching now who are not in Ukraine, what's the best way of doing that? In the magazine, you will find uh, the something that we call yellow pages. Uh, in the first issue, those are yellow pages. In the in the second issue, it's, it's those are pink pages. But we also keep calling them yellow pages, um, <laughs> and those are the volunteering, the trusted volunteering organizations that are working on ground in Ukraine. Those usually are led by young people, maybe people of the same age as we are. Um, and um, you will be able to read more about those organizations on in Solomia magazine and also find QR codes for um, direct donations. If you are unsure about whether it's a trusted organization, you can always find their Instagrams where they have highlights saved where, on all the reporting that they have been doing. And also they also show um, the procurements that they have um, accomplished throughout this war. Um, so we really uh, encourage you taking um, taking your time to um, to explore that and also taking your time to explore Solomia magazine because this magazine really needs your attention just as we do. Absolutely. Um, look, thanks again for talking. You guys are doing a, an amazing job making this extraordinary magazine. So um, thank you. And Let's keep our fingers crossed. Maybe next year we can uh, 
do this in person at last. Yes. And I just want to use this opportunity to say good luck to Ivanka and Peter and Sebastian, who are probably sitting. Uh, it's so weird to speak about this, uh, knowing that this will happen in the future, but who are probably like sitting on the, on the pedestal right now and have a great conversation. And everyone have a great Intercon experience. So we would be out and be sitting on the pedestal. So come, come and sit here where I can see you. Okay, so um, Sebastian, can you tell? So, the, so you you are not Ukrainian. You're based in Berlin. How did you first get involved in doing stuff in Ukraine, and how did this magazine come about? I studied in. Belgium when the full-scale invasion started and I'm a documentary photographer so I am I consider it to be kind of my job to also travel to places where crises are happening and try to find answers with photographs in order to respond to what happens and to somehow document it and report on it in news media and in magazines and so on um, so also in that case, I absolutely felt the need to, okay, I somehow want to use what I have, want to use my qualities and my abilities to take pictures in order to somehow contribute something um, to the discourse and against the Russian aggression. However, I absolutely had no idea how because war was something I didn't have any answer to and I absolutely didn't know how to deal with as a, as a photographer, um, having absolutely no legitimation to be there um, and to work there and just bothering people, actually. And thanks God I met Zavod Kazarin, um, the person you just listened or saw on the screen, um, who had probably very similar struggles. He used to work as a fashion photographer before the full-scale invasion started and suddenly there was no no means or no reason to do fashion photography. Um, so we were both photographers, both had a similar idea of we want to use the medium for, um, but didn't have any answer. But I think together we kind of found an answer or we at least ended up doing a magazine, which is which is great, yeah. Okay, but, the, but it didn't jump straight to, we've, we've met, we met up, we're doing something together, we're going to make a magazine, because um, Sevo mentioned a graphic project that you started working on first of all, so maybe you could tell us that, maybe you could show us uh, a few of the pictures. I will quickly jump into it. This is how it all started back in April and in May of 2022, when the north of Kiev was just liberated, um, and life returned to Kiev, and Sevalot and I... Um, wanted to document this life and wanted to send a message that um, there is something to defend, which is exactly the life of those young people, um, those creative people um, that can definitely contribute a lot to the world, to Europe, to that discourse, to a couple of things. So, uh, yeah, it was a very intuitive decision that we said, like, we want to take photographs um, on the street of young people and most of the photographs were um, 
yeah, emerged in a very spontaneous way. We just walked around, met someone that we found interesting, um, where we had the feeling that the person like consciously expresses itself on the street. Um, and then we asked people to take their picture and uh, found like some background, which usually refers in a way to the war in a more direct or indirect way. And uh, like for quite some time, we were wondering whether this is actually the right way to respond. Like, well, there are all the houses all the lives, all the nature, um, all the territory being destroyed, being occupied massively to then photograph like young, good-looking people uh, in the city center of Kiev. Um, so today we have no answer, but I think in the very moment it was probably an important message that we could send out. Um, and yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the things that really cut through for me was because obviously this was a time when we were seeing lots of war imagery, but to see these, you know, attractive young people against like sandbags or like anti-tank hedgehogs or, you know, kind of is a reminder of like, oh God, yeah, there is actually life happening there still. And right. um, Ivanka, we were talking a little bit earlier and you said something interesting about one of the things that you're trying to do with the magazine is show that this is not normality. What you're going through at the moment is not normality. I wonder if you could kind of expand on that a little bit. Um, so, like, it's really, it comes harder and harder, like, uh, as, as, as war is still going on. Um, like, expressing ourselves so that you have the feeling that you got understood and not to repeat all the theses that were already said uh, a lot of times, but to find the right words and, and the connection to the, the contemporary context uh, through photography, through art, uh, that the, something that we are going through, uh, it's not is not normal like because uh, when you are in this context all the time and kind of just try like waking up and 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 trying to move on so like reminds that it's in a civilized war a world uh, i w wouldn't have to like have this 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 um, great load every day of war going on and this parallel reality where war going on every day. And so, so the, I, I mentioned uh, in the video when I was talking with Vesevolod uh, a piece that he wrote, um, The Russians Stole My Hot Water. And this is a piece where he writes about waking up in his apartment and the Russians have been bombing critical infrastructures so the boiler's not working, so it's freezing cold and he makes himself a coffee and flicks through uh, his phone and sees a video of two Russian soldiers dying in a trench. And then he decides what to have for breakfast. And it's this, I think in that case, it's talking about a loss of humanity and a, a kind of a, gr a need to fight back against that loss of humanity. 
Peter and Annalena, you're obviously a long way away from uh, Ukraine. You're in Berlin. How do you, as graphic designers, then take a, a great contradiction like that and try to resolve it on the page? Actually, I, I did the design for, for this article, and sometimes I tend to do design without reading the text because it's so much you have to design and you cannot read everything. But in, in this case, I really remember that when I read it, I mean, Seva is such a nice guy and totally polite and so on. I was really, really shocked to read what he is describing because it's really awful. And, and I was also thinking that this text could never have been in the first issue. But one year later, the situation is so terrible that Silva is having cookies and a coffee and watching someone die and obviously is enjoying it, maybe. I don't know, but it could be. Um, so for, you, you mentioned the distance and um, actually we, we never met Sevalot and Andri in person, not yet. So we just know each other from, from the Zoom windows and all the text messages. And, um, and besides that it's very, very interesting to work on that project, it's also some really difficult situation when you have the feeling that you misjudge something or you, that you don't understand it totally or that we even, when we did this cover, um, we waited for some changes by the illustrator and it was really a minor change for uh, five minutes and we've been waiting for one day for it and we were like, why didn't, why is Aleftina not doing this? It's just changing this here, this detail. And on the next day we found out that she didn't have electricity for what And in that moment we didn't think about the war and the circumstances, yeah. So, so the, the second issue um, I found quite surprising because it has a different tone to the first issue. And I think, well, I mentioned it again in the video, the, the, there was um, that kind of obsession or determination to have hope in the, the first issue. And I think in the second issue, there's more of a feeling of like, this has been going on for a year now and it's still going and there's no sign that it's gonna stop anytime soon. The graphic design seemed to change uh, subtly as well. The, were, were there deliberate changes you were making with that to reflect it, or is this just a kind of an evolution of the magazine as you go issue by issue? So with the first issue, we, we didn't know what we are doing. So we, we just started, and, uh, and the, literally we, we had like 10 pictures maybe, when we decided to do the magazine and in the end it was 128 pages. So it really developed from day to day and week to week. And, in, and may, maybe that's why it looks a little bit like a loose bound uh, collection of whatever is there in this moment. Um, and for the second issue, we, we tried to make some minor tweaks, but Annelena just told me yesterday that she was, that for her it was super important to have a second issue which reminds a lot of the first one. 
and that we should do a lot of changes in the third one, but not in the second one. Yeah? Yes, it was like this, yes. Well, so look, they're very definitely the same magazine. It's not like you've kind of thrown everything out, but for example, in the second issue, there are uh, photo stories which have, so you just jump straight into the, the images of the photo story, and then the headline might come at the end of the photo story, or some text might come at the end. And uh, I found that as a reader to be quite a disorienting experience. The, it's just like, look, here's, here's this image, deal with it, figure out what's going on here. It, it, are these kind of like, is this the sort of subtle change or, or is this just what happens when you make another magazine? It's, this is done by intention, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a kind of mechanism we, we have a little bit in the first issue, and maybe it's a little bit clearer in the second one. Uh, so, I mean, lots of design elements are very classical in, in, in that magazine, and kind of old-fashioned even, maybe. So there's no fancy typography, not really. And so on, and but but we we try to have some cuts and disturbances because that makes it. Yeah, maybe in your stomach you kind of feel that there's something wrong with this because you turn the page, it was green, and now I, I see, I just see roofs, and on the last page it is it's explained, but only on the last page. But, uh, this magazine can, can't be conventional, because it's not. Um, just jumping in here from my perspective as a photographer, I think one of the first things that really disturbed me um, was, for instance, after the deoccupation of Bucha and the first pictures arriving from the news, um, Russians immediately used captions in order to claim those pictures taken in Bucha to be fake, like for the means of their own propaganda. So to me, it's a really important question, like how can photography do something else and try to not fall in the trap or to not run in the trap of the propagandic misuse of those images? And therefore, I think it's also very important to just look at the photographs first and just look at what you are seeing and just think about what you're seeing and then having an explanation and some sort of a, like a framework of what you need to know in order to understand those images better in the end and not in the beginning is maybe one of the strategies we, we try to use in order to counter this sort of propagandic misuse of photography. Yeah, so like, let the photography speak for themselves at first. Okay, so um, I'm going to ask the questions uh, from the audience in a minute. You're going to have to really shout, and we will try to hear <laughs> what you're saying. Um, so please do have a think about like, things you'd like to ask. Um, I was really struck by one of the things that Andre said about um, every Ukrainian died on February 24th and woke up in the morning trying to recollect themselves and understand what's their place in the world and how they can be helpful and how that for him has led to a whole new 
part of his life where he's now writing and editing and doing something that he wasn't doing before. It strikes me that maybe something similar is true for you, Sebastian. What, what has been the effects on, on you of, of starting this magazine? Well, I mean, I, I have been traveling to Ukraine a lot and usually whenever I'm traveling, I take many, many pictures. Right now, I just take very few pictures and I do many interviews. I spend a lot of time with Ivanka, with Saulot, with Andri. Um, I think a lot sometimes, I just do nothing. Um, and so it, it really changed myself of understanding my role. I'm like, I think I'm still a photographer, but uh, obviously I need to do much more for this magazine. Um, starting from writing, um, ending up at distribution, which is hell, by the way. <laughs> so uh, thanks, God. And that's how I can mention Helena, who's over there, and Christian, who is busy at his table from Shift Books, who are really helping us out with uh, the distribution, starting with the second issue. Um, go to their table, check out our magazine and everything else they've been doing, because all those different parts coming together, um, like the reality of publishing um, is, is something entirely new for me, um, but something that taught me, I think, many, many lessons. And I'm just super grateful for the support we get like here at such, uh, on such a stage. Uh, I get from very experienced minds of Peter and Annalena or from those young, wild, creative masterminds like Ivanka. Um, it's, it's just great and it creates, and that's really where, as a photographer who are usually very lonely, a sense of community and of being a group, a small group, which is growing, <laughs> but still, um, it's a community. And this is something really meaningful to me, yeah. I love the fact that we're here talking about actual war and you've just described distribution as hell. That's like... <laughs> okay, do we have any questions coming from the audience? Okay, um, thank you so much for this talk and thank you for what you do. It's really amazing. I'm also Ukrainian, so it's a pleasure to see you and uh, to enjoy this uh, magazine. And uh, my question is, if we speculate a bit and um, imagine the war is over, Ukraine has won, of course, would you like to carry on with um, issuing your magazine or would you prefer to keep it like a monument of past events? Um, yeah. This is the question, thanks. I would like to continue on working because I think that the brave people defending Ukraine deserve the monument every day and deserve to like, uh, ban it being like, uh, in, in having their chance to speak out about the experience they went through even further. And when the war is over that's such a such a like huge and also vague formulation the war is 
not just over. I mean, still today we talk so much about the remnants and the repercussions of the Second World War and how it shapes our lives and our continent today. Um, so I think when the war is hopefully soon over, then and Ukraine has hopefully soon won, then like an entire new conversation starts. But there is so much to talk about, and um, there is so there are so many ideas to be exchanged between Ukraine and between uh, many other European countries that I have absolutely no doubt that the magazine might yeah might end that the project might end when when the war ends but whether actually it it's a new chapter but like yeah it will go on <laughs> do we have any other questions out there you said earlier that uh, you kind of started with a with with a piece of photography basically and then this somehow transformed into a whole magazine. And uh, maybe you can tell a little bit more of that story of how the idea came about to really create a whole publication and also maybe how this team found each other because I think that's also pretty interesting. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, we started off taking those portraits, which was very spontaneous, like Savalet and I met, we had one coffee on the Maidan Square, actually not really the place where you used to drink coffee, but for some reason we met there, and uh, on the next day um, we met, I think it was 10 in the morning at Golden Gate, and started off taking pictures, um, and I mean, like, there are no quotes uh, or no like longer text accompanying those pictures, but of course we talked a lot to the people we photographed, um, and that's also how we got to know way more people. And uh, like some of the contributors of the first issue um, have been also photographed um, within the series. So that's that's kind of how it started. Very much street work in a way. Um, and then I asked. Um, Peter and Annalene, so like we have the rare idea we could maybe make a magazine. Um, would you mind doing a layout, uh, doing art direction? And they agreed. Thanks for that. Um, so somehow it like developed really step by step, like a bit like a school's newspaper in a way. We really didn't have any idea. Just just came up with stuff that, that we found while, while working. Um, we needed someone to take over the printing costs because printing uh, 1,500 copies costs a lot of money. And um, so yeah, someone needed to pay for this. And uh, thanks God, with the first issue, we found the Akademie der Künste in Berlin who helped us paying uh, for those costs. And they said, like, yeah, maybe, you know, Mikola Ritni and Sasha Kurmas, maybe those guys might be interesting for you. And they were, um, Sasha Kurmas created the cover uh, of the magazine, and that's how it started. And then I came back after, uh, like, I spent most of uh, the summer of 2022 in, um, in Germany and in, like, Western Europe in order to distribute the magazine, like going to many bookshops, going to the post office every morning, sending out our new deliveries. 
Um, I came back in autumn, stayed at a co-living place. I found an Airbnb and one of my co-livers was Ivanka. And I went in and uh, she asked me, uh, Sebastian, what are, what are you doing here in Kiev? Good question to ask. And I said, like, yeah, I'm, like, I do a magazine, which is like a Ukrainian-German collaboration of artists. And she's like, ah, yeah, which magazine? I said, it's called Suramia. Ah, yeah, sure, I know the magazine. Um, and yeah, that's how it started um, and evolves. Yeah, and then like we started a conversation and like, do you know this, this photographer? Do you know this photographer? Do you know this and that? And also this may be interesting. And this conversation was kind of the process of me getting involved in the production of the second issue. Okay, and any other questions from over here? So I, I have one more to finish up. So, so the process of making any magazine is always a process of taking things away. Is there anything that you have wanted to include in the magazine that you just haven't been able to for any reason? And if so, what is it? From my side, I've actually proposed to put a series of photos that you can see in, in the second issue uh, on one of the last pages. There was a series of photos that, that I wish that they were there, but it's, it was the, actually the last uh, days of our agreement on what is going to be the content, what's going to be in the magazine. That's why we choose only, uh, have chosen only, only one photos, but there was, uh, there were a series of them. Like, I think so far we did not kick out so many stuff. <laughs> We pretty much uh, show everything we worked on and we like produced like I would say half of the stuff probably is made especially for the magazine and um, the other half is like when we invited other contributors to like publish their work in the magazine and usually it was not so m such a difficult selection of like who, what of all the stuff is out, but it just like grow, grew very genuinely. And um, yeah, one things lead to, one, one stuff, like one, one part leads to another part and one story leads to the next story. And suddenly uh, like the magazine is full, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also as, as the process takes, not just like, uh, one week, so a lot of a lot of events uh, are happening uh, while we are into the process of production. So we try to be open for highlighting the some uh, emerging emerging events. Uh, so yeah. There are uh, magazines who do open calls, like so far we didn't any open call and like uh, probably we didn't need an open call at all because Ivangla simply knows everybody. <laughs> and it's like a database, a living database of all young artists living in Ukraine. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for your involvement. All right, okay, well, um, you probably can tell from the way we talk about it, but um, I'm a huge fan of this magazine um, and you're doing an amazing job with it. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for being here.
Uh, and thanks to all of you as well. Cheers. Okay, that's all for this week. If you haven't already seen a copy of Solomir, I can thoroughly recommend hunting one down. It's a really special magazine and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with issue three. If you used to listen to our podcast back in the old days, you might remember that I like to include a discount code at this bit uh, just for the people who listen all the way to the end. So if you want to receive a surprise magazine every month, go to stackmagazines.com and use the code podcast to get 10% off your first payment. That's podcast to save 10% and let us start sending our beautiful, intelligent, independent magazines direct to your door. Our next episode is also going to come from Indicon and I'm pleased to say that it's going to be much easier to edit than this week's. So thanks very much for listening to this one and I'll be back with another episode next week.